CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, Eric Scopel on the show. And on this Friday, we are bringing on a guest. He is the editor of GoDucks.com, one of the most influential people I think in Oregon sports. Uh, Rob Mosley, Duck Football on Twitter. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. How's it going? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing okay. Um, real quick before we dive into the future of Oregon football, that's kind of what our, the focus of this show is going to be about um how do you sum up 2020 like we've oh, had a man. couple of weeks now to digest it and and there was a pandemic and the, uh, the preparations for the season was like we've never seen before and a ton of you know hurdles to get through but they did play it they won a championship three losses though how do you how do you sum up 2020 yeah it's uh it's a mix of emotions i mean on one hand just from the players' perspective, it was really great that they got a chance to compete and play the games they did, and obviously to win another Pac-12 title was great. Um, but you know, like when when we've announced the last few days that guys like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red and and et cetera are coming back, there's also this sense that I'm so glad they're doing that because they deserve to finish on a better note than they did. You know, yeah. for as satisfying as it was that they got to compete, I and mean, that wasn't. That wasn't anybody's idea of normal, um, and it would be nice to go out on a on a different kind of note. So yeah, I mean the just the whole way was a lot of a, a lot of emotions. I mean, but prior to the season, you know, c- uh, conflicting emotions. Do we, you know, yeah, we want to play, we want to give these guys a chance, but there's so many concerns with the pandemic. Is it going to be safe? You know, you just the whole year kind of felt like being pulled in in, in different ways and trying to reconcile. Know what was what was the best way to make the best of a bad situation? Um, you were, I think, the only media member to watch practice yeah. all year. What was that like? Like, was it was practice normal? Like from like in terms of just going in and and obviously you had to be distanced away from the team, I would assume. But at the same time, like was just the normal operation of practice like any other operation. In terms yeah. of how they conducted it, was it? Or yeah, was it different? I, I think if you if you had shown up on any given day, you wouldn't have felt like anything was much different. I mean, obviously, um, you know, guys are wearing masks as right. much as possible, but other than that, it you know, I mean, when we were in the Mashovsky Center, um, there was a cap on the number of people that could be in there. Um, you know, I. I, it, but it wasn't necessarily noticeable that like a lot of people were absent. You know, there might've been a few less sure. strength coaches or maybe a couple less video guys. I'm not sure exactly how they, you know, if, if there, what, what, if, what, if anything was necessary to, to abide by that, but also all the bay doors were open all the time to make sure there was airflow through there to allow for being um, inside out of the, out of the rain, but also not in a condition where the air is just trapped in there and sure. anything's at risks. But, but, you know, small things like that, you know, where I think if, you know, if the average Oregon fan had dropped in any given day, 
they just would have been excited feeling like they were watching a football practice and there wouldn't be, have been this sense of, oh my God, there's all these hurdles they're having to overcome right. to try to get into practice. Interesting. Um, let's look towards 2021 now. Um, I think Tyler Shuck was really good in some parts of 2020. Um, I think his reputation is has been he's getting some unfair flack thrown his way. Um, yeah. But I also think that you know, he's had some moments where he needs to improve upon. Um, and that's, I think that's fair to say also. Anthony Brown had in limited moments some good. He also had some bad. Um, throw in some young guys, and this QB spot feels like in 2021, this offseason, it could go a whole bunch of different directions. What, what, what's kind of your read on the position group right now? Well, I'd be really surprised if it went a direction that wasn't Shuck or Brown. I okay. mean, just the experience that those guys bring to the table. Um, you know, I know it's, it's, it, it's fun and we all want this time of year, you know, you see the recruits that are signing right. and committing and, and you just get so excited. They're like, you know, presents under the tree that you can't wait to unwrap and, and see how they do. But, um, you know, Panay Sewell was the exception, not the rule, you know, Justin Herbert and Troy Dye were the exception, not the rule. You know, there's reasons those guys are, are going to go down as, as legends because they did things that very few people are able to do. So, you know, you hope a young guy could potentially earn their way into the competition. Is that realistic? I, I guess you'd argue it's realistic. Is it likely, you know, I mean, the odds suggest that it's just, it's just tough as a true freshman at certain positions or, or, or even a redshirt freshman when you're going against guys who have a lot of game reps to try to try to crack that, you know, which is not to say, Hey, it's not going to be a wide open competition and the doors, you know, it's not like the doors can be closed to that, <clears throat> but you know, if, <clears throat> pardon me. If you're talking about what's most likely, you know, yeah, I'd be surprised if it weren't Brown or Shuck just based on their, um, their, the, the amount of game reps they have banked. And the thing for me is, again, I think if, you know, if the average Oregon fan dropped by a practice this year, what would strike them, you know, and I say this cause it struck me is how similar they are. I mean, their skill sets are really, really similar. Um, you know, I think Brown maybe has a little bit more wiggle as a runner, you know, Tyler's, you know, a little bit more looking to go straight ahead, but he gets yards that way. You know, right. it's not like, you know, their average yards per carries could be that much different, I think, in a lot of situations. So, and his passers, I think they're really, really similar in terms of arm strength, you know, you know, about either guy is like a, a Herbert where he's going to just no. run it 60 yards. And I think yeah. that's an unfair expectation for yeah. fans to ask that for both guys. Justin was a cyborg. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know he just yeah if you built a quarterback in the lab that's what you'd want it to look like you know and so yeah that's an unfair comparison too but yeah you so I you know I do think you know I'm, I have no idea what plays are being run you know from an X and O perspective I don't know how guys are reading defenses how they're reading through their progressions in a practice so I can't assess that and that's obviously a huge piece for you know if you're a Joe Moorhead or something and breaking down those guys but just watching them as a, you know, basically from the perspective of a fan on the sideline, it's, it's, it can be hard to, 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 to watch a practice and be like, Oh yeah, one was markedly better than the other. Rob, Rob, I think the other thing that's cool about having you on is not only are you the only one able to watch practice, but you are also, and not, not just as, I'm not saying you're old, but I'm saying you're the most senior member of the media in terms of you've been on the team. <laughs> you're just well, them old. well played, well played. <laughs> Well, and I say that because I think you have a better grasp of history from the program perspective than just about anybody doing this. And I know Matt and I grew up in Eugene. We, we've both been following this program 
first as fans and, and now as members of the media for each of us for about, I don't know, close to a decade, Matt, longer than I. But I just was thinking about this quarterback competition and, and thinking it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of instances where you go into spring and into a season with it being quite this wide open. And I know, I know there have been instances where it has been, you know, pretty open, but like, since you've been doing this, like, like, does this draw any similarities to any previous quarterback kind of springs or, or competitions or, or kind of, does this feel a little bit unique to a certain extent? Um, no, that's a good question at the risk of sounding like an idiot. Cause I'm just going off the top of my head. I'm just trying to go back through the years. You know, I think, I mean, because the, the, the other part is, Rob, is thought it, it was going to be Dakota Prukop. You know, in 15, 15 was such Vernon. a weird year because Vernon was late arriving. So it was like, it was Jeff Lockie's job because Vernon wasn't even here. But then right when Vernon got here, it was like, all right, it's probably going to be Vernon's job. You know, so it wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't an, analogous to this. Um, you know, he obviously had Marcus before that. And I think for as much as, you know, back then they tried to represent that it was a Marcus and Bennett competition that was, you know, I think everybody internally knew that was going to be Marcus maybe 2008, you know, when you're coming off that sun bowl and Roper had played well and he was coming back. Mm. Um, but then Masoli enters on that team. Yeah. Masoli arrives. And then like Chris Harper and Darren Thomas have also showed up. So that's probably the best, you know, and honestly, yeah, it's like, okay. So Justin Roper is Tyler Shuck. Anthony Brown is Jeremiah Masoli. Ty Thompson is Darren Thomas, you know, not as players, but just sort of like the roles they feel in the competition. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it kind of sort of stacks up like that, that 2008 season. Well, and the reason I, I I think it's also strange is because you have an incumbent starter in Tyler Shuck who started every game last season. And yet there is seemingly some sort of up, you know, it's an open competition, which is rather unusual, unfortunately for Tyler. Yeah. I mean, I think that, the unusual 2020 set the stage for that, you know, I mean, it was just that, that off that off season and that evaluation period was so different. Um, you know, and I don't have great insight into what things looked like prior to the start of preseason camp. Cause um, you know, when, when the football team's not practicing, you know, I'm probably covering other sports, you know, I'm not sitting in meetings and going to strength and conditioning workouts or things like that. So, um, but you know, it's, it's, it was, it was just such a different off season. Um, you know, I, I, I suppose if I'm an Anthony Brown, I figure like, all right, now, now I got like a, a, a normal, uh, chance to compete for this job compared to, you know, showing up kind of mid-year last year and then having such a strange off season. I mean, being sent home for a month before preseason camp started. I mean, that's, you, you, you like to think you go into preseason camp having just spent the previous few weeks in Eugene, other than a short break. <laughs> In Eugene, throw with all your guys, you know, instead of going into camp, introducing yourself to a fair amount of guys. So, um, yeah, it, it is different in that regard, but 2020 was so different, you know, maybe that's not too surprising. And I also think you have to factor in the fact that there was no non-con. Like, yeah, right. you were going to play Ohio State, but you also had, no offense to the two other teams, two games in which right. – you're expected to get a lot of reps and a lot of development for both probably quarterbacks. And, and then in the 2020, it felt like each game's value was like double because of just how few of games they played. Yeah. And I kind of wonder how much did that factor in there as well? Um, Yeah. If it, you know, game six and game seven this year were the end of the year. Yeah. If game six and game seven had been 
the middle of a year, like normal, you know, may, you know, maybe you make some different decisions uh, about, you know, who's starting and what kind of rotation you use, because yeah, it's, you're not in the postseason. You're just in the middle of October, you know, and you still feel like you have a little bit of time to do some evaluation before you, you, you know, the season stretch really, run. yeah, really hits the stretch run. Yeah. Receiver. I, I don't think Jalen red and Johnny Johnson's announcements to coming back uh, for a 2020 is generating the importance from a fan base perspective as it should be in my eyes. Yeah. I think, I think this is huge. Like what, what's your read on just this wide receiver room now that a couple guys have said they're coming back and red and Johnson, a couple guys have said that they're, they're going to transfer out of the program. Um, and they're, they've signed three highly regarded recruits. They've got a couple other younger guys uh, and Pittman and, and Devin who have, who've had some bright moments, just, the significance of red and Johnson coming back and just the overall perspective now of this receiver room. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like the quarterback position, you know, you just, it's, it's hard to beat the value of game reps. And so um, the experience those guys bring is just massive. And for, you know, for all the talent of uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel for you two guys, you know what, you know, <laughs> like when I was at the paper, I would sort of pay cursory attention to recruiting, but like Matt, you would handle some of that. And that was kind of off my plate. So like, you know, you guys, your audience has an insatiable desire for recruiting information that you, for, you know, you want to satisfy, but that also creates sort of this artificial unfair expectation that they're going to just absolutely. Yeah. But like what, and I, you know, it's not like you guys are at fault for doing that. I mean, this, the, 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 this, Desire for information is there, but that unfortunately goes one step more to like inflated expectations. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see, and particularly at the, the level Mario Cristobal is recruiting now, you you know, you do feel like it's more reasonable to expect guys to come right in because you know, five star guys tend to, you know, tend to be dudes from the moment they they hit campus. Um, and to that, I would say even KT didn't start right away as a true freshman. Totally. Yeah. He, he had half something a year. to learn. I mean, the, the fact that Gus Cumberlander was there in that position, you know, now Gus hurting his knee in the middle of that year, opened the door for KT and KT is a mature enough kid that he took advantage of that and thrived, but it helped having Gus that took some of the pressure off KT, you know, that he had a fifth year guy um, who, who was able to, 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 to handle those reps early in the year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, and that's not to suggest that, that, you know, the freshmen at receiver are going to, you know, I'm predicting they bypass Johnny and Jalen uh, in the middle of the next year. I mean, but far from it. I just think you know the 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 value those guys provide with their experience is gonna be, is gonna be tough to beat. Now, is it awesome to have guys you know like Devin Williams and then like some of these freshmen coming in who profile in a different way? Absolutely. Um, and and you can just do different things situationally and deploy them in different ways. And I'm just you know, among the things I'm most excited for is just to see what Joe Moorhead does year two and how he takes advantage of all this again with a more normal, hopefully knock on wood off season to, to work with. I, I think it's, this is how I viewed the receiver room. Um, Johnny and, and Jalen will probably be you know somewhere in the top three or four of your receiver group. Devin and, and Micah will be in that group as well. And then Chris Hudson, Delgado, and probably one of the three true freshmen will be say you know in that rotation at most case scenario and and maybe a second guy elevates himself but like what you said about quarterback like 
it's just very difficult for a young guy, even at skill positions, to, to come right in and, and play right away and, and dominate. Yeah. I mean, the, the Heisman winner last year, right, was a, was a backup. Now, he was yeah. the backup to some dudes but um, at, at Alabama. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just no matter how talented you are, um, it, it, there's just no, no uh, uh, overstating the value of, of game reps and what that means for guys. And then Johnny and Jalen just played so much football, and they're so tough, and they're such good program guys. They're good culture guys. Um, you know, it's just it's invaluable to have them to have them coming back. I wanted to provide some context here from the recruiting perspective, especially at receiver here. I, I pulled up the ten best wide receiver recruits Oregon has signed. Two of them are guys in the twenty twenty one class, and Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton. But here's the other eight: Cameron Colvin, and I just want to reflect on how these players started their career as true freshmen. Colvin, obviously, an up and down career. But here's the other: here's the other seven: Cameron Colvin, Braylon Addison, Micah Pittman, Jalen Brown, Alex Afadale. Uh, Lance Wilhoyt, Dylan Mitchell, and Isaiah Crocker. Yeah. Um, the most receiving yards for that entire group was Braylon Addison with 243. Um, so and you, you go just, back before the, you know, kind of before the current modern recruiting era, yeah. you know, LaCorey Collins um, was a guy who, you know, he ends up being a tight end, you know, he was a, but he was a huge big time five-star receiver. The Ducks got, um, you know, it's just, and that was a different era where if, if you know, if, Oregon wasn't getting a lot of five stars. And um, so there, it was going to come a small, small sample size. So it's a, a little harder to gauge, but yeah, it is, it is hard to hit the ground running. And that, that list illustrates it. But I, I even think a guy like D'Anthony Thomas, who comes in and has a great first couple seasons at Oregon. I just remember his season opener, his career first game against LSU puts the ball on the turf a couple of times. Yeah. Um, it's tough. It's tough for these guys. And, and we say this and Matt and I have been kind of, we do our mailbag podcast and almost every week it's like, is this new player going to be the starter? I mean, right, and, right. It's, 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 and, and I think you bring up a good point in terms of it. it's just the way that, you know, the recruiting industry has changed expectations. Everybody knows these players right before they even get on campus. And, and, and there is a tendency. And it's funny because we, Matt and I were saying, I think if you were to go back towards like at parts where Justin Herbert in even in 2019, where he was having some down moments, everybody was like, let's get Tyler Shuck in there. He's the future yeah. of the position. And now the perspective right. has changed so much, but right. I just think this discussion is important because um, more so ever in 2021, this is the best from a recruiting perspective, the best recruiting hall Oregon has had an offense. I mean, they've got four stars at quarterback. They got two at running back, three at receiver, two at tight end, four offensive line. It's really uh, uh, just ridiculous to look at, but you have to have reasonable expectations. And I think there, you touched on it perfectly earlier about just kind of how there's that shiny, present under the tree and, and the expectation is these guys just jump in ground you know and just hit the ground running and are starting or, or big impact players but that just hasn't even really been the case and I I even wanted to touch on something um, from a defensive perspective last year with you uh, Rob because we obviously saw Noah Sewell what did you see from Justin Flo and Dante Manning prior to those injuries in fall camp and, and I don't want you to assess their like how ready they would have been because obviously we can't right. reflect on what would have happened but like what did you see from those two guys as athletes because we didn't get to watch them at all at Oregon and, and those are two guys I think fans are really excited about yeah you know Manning never really had never really got going you know I mean I think he was he might even come into camp my, my you know my memory's a little fuzzy on kind of what the timeline was there but you know I, I never feel like I got many chances to watch him um and then he was kind of in and out and it, you know it was he was learning nickel at one point. Um, I, you know, I just, you know, uh, 
this will be a great year for him because again, he you know he he can just get healthy and then you know really take a, a, a swing at it. Um, you know, Flo is you know just he uh, you know I hope this doesn't come off as disrespectful. I mean, it's like he's the water boy. You know, it's just like <laughs> his pulse is probably a hundred and eighty. You know, any any you know at any moment that he's on the field i imagine his eyes bugging out of his head like he's mike singletary like he just wants to go find the ball and hit somebody you know and i could see him going through kind of what you know brady breeze was the first couple years like kind of boomer bust like a guy who made plays but also kind of would drive coaches nuts a little bit too like hey let's make sure we're playing within the framework of what we're trying to do here you know um but you also can't you can't teach kind of being a playmaker and the kind of instincts he plays with too. So, you know, you've only got to rein him in a little bit and he's going to be really, really great. So, um, you know, and just the way things clicked for, for Brady breeze, I, you know, I don't know why that, you know, I, I kind of hit on that connection and I've, I've stuck with it in my head the last couple of weeks, but you know, I could, I, I see flow is kind of on a similar, you know, they don't play the same position, not, you know, there's a lot of differences between them, but just in terms of love, the passion, love, the intensity, love, the desire, let, you know, Play Mike Bladio, yeah, Mike Bladio has talked about being one inch out of control. You know, don't be two inches out of control. Just be one inch out of control. And, you, you know, you'll be able to harness harness that in exactly the right way. Um, to stay with linebackers for a second, like we all knew Penny Sewell was a freak right. from an athletic standpoint. I almost look at Noah and think it's even more considering how big he is and the fact that he plays inside linebacker and the things that he can do. Yeah, I don't know. Panay's pretty good, and you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm talking just from a pure athleticism standpoint. Talent evaluator, no doubt. No, it is. It is freakish to see guys that big move that 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 well. For no no doubt about it. Yeah, and you know, the, some of the the high school highlights of of Noah playing running back was like, wait, what? That's a linebacker. You know, that's you know, that's where we're going to play him. All right, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, it just you know. Panay's ceiling, you know, you look at the, these NFL draft projections that are coming out. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And, you know, I, I, I'd be hesitant to put that kind of expectations on Noah. But just, sure. yeah, just, yeah, that, the, the, those genes, that family uh, is working from a pretty, pretty good uh, spot in the gene pool because those, those guys are built different, no doubt about it. And, the, you know, they, just the passion they have for it too. Um, you know, Noah got pretty dinged up this year, and he was still – a warrior. I mean, he was still going out there fighting through it. You know, he wasn't, you know, there's no prima donna in those guys or anything like that. There's no like, Hey, I'm a five-star. I need to look right. out for my future or this. It's like, I want to go to battle with my brothers and lay it all on the line. And they do that. Well, how many, um, how many times have you seen someone get carted off the field in a game and play the next week? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen that. I think Josh Huff might still be kind of the standard bearer there, but, uh, <laughs> but the same way, Josh would always bounce back up and be, and, and be ready to go. Uh, and yeah, yeah, no, no, it was the same way. Who stood out to you this past season that has you thinking like, Hey, 2021 is going to be a big year um, for them. I, it, it could be a veteran starter guy and, and, I think that's possible. Like, is there anyone out there that you're just like, I can't wait till this guy has a full season, a full off season. Oh yeah. I would say a bunch of guys. Um, you know, I think Devin Williams, you know, in a crowded receiver room, I think showed flashes of what he can be. Um, you know, Spencer Webb was obviously hurt, but, uh, you know, if he, when he gets healthy, uh, I think his ceiling's really, really high. Um, 
you know, Sean dollars. I think we'd all like to see what he do with a few more reps, but also understand why they've been hard to come by. Right. Um, gosh, you know, like Christian and Keon and Dorless there on the, on the, on the defensive line. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of guys, you know, DJ James finished the year so well. Um, you know, what does that mean for him? You know, he, he, presumably he brings so much confidence and positive momentum about, you know, who he can be into this off season. How does he capitalize on that? Um, you know, I think he, he's a guy to be excited about too. I, I just look at this team and feel like, and we've already talked about quarterbacks. So I don't, we don't have to go into too much, but there aren't that many position groups where I have a lot of like concern, I guess is the right word. Like I feel, I feel obviously that we talked about receiver. I think running back, you've got two, veterans back we haven't even mentioned cj verdell coming back and i guess right. he obviously i mean he could come back it wasn't like he was gifted the extra year there was an understanding of that possibility but there was also i thought i think that maybe if he had a big i guess it would have been a junior season in 2020 he could have left but yeah and if you're a running back you always understand running backs wanting to you know not put more tread on the tire there for sure and and then you look at the offensive line and tight end and, and i think tight end maybe there's a little bit of like okay hunter's gone we didn't see anyone else besides dj in 2020 but like i think like for you is there a position group that you're just kind of most intrigued by and i just ran through the offense so maybe i'm kind of nudging you towards defense because that's where my head's at yeah but you know probably how do all the safeties shake out and i think you know yep. particularly what you know what's this defense going to look like you know what's the what, what kind of alignment is going to be favored you yep. know in 2021 compared to 2020 you know we saw you know, it was like it was like a base nickel defense with a lot of dime thrown in, and sometimes you'd go to you know a, a seven man front. But you know, so how, how does Jamal Hill factor in? You know, what's the best position for him going forward? Um, you know, what do guys like Jordan Happel and Bennett Williams do in year two? You know, it can you know if Steve Stevens stays healthy? You know, what what does a full year mean for him? And you know, Verone I think kind of established himself. You you figure he's got a spot, but you know, new system. Um, it's, it's just a new, a new set of evaluations you make. So yeah, you know, off the top of my head, probably how do things shake out for all those guys? Um, sticking with the, the defensive backs, it feels like, I don't know, for the last three or four years, that group has just been insanely deep. Um, in 2020, I'm going to include 2020 because we couldn't predict a, a pandemic to happen. And understandably I, I get why Holland and, and Graham and Breeze all opted out, but going into a normal year of 2020, that unit was going to be insanely deep again. Do you get that, that perspective? Like I understand maybe guys could change of you know how they're used or where they play, but as a, as a unit in the secondary, do you think this group has that depth that it's had the last two or three years where it's like their third string could start for a lot of PAC 12 schools? I think the potential's there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the depth at corner, you know, when, when David Davis left and, you know, when you needed to, when you needed to move a couple of receivers over there last year, that kind of spoke to some of the questions at, at you know, at, at, at corner. Um, I think there are, you know, it's safety that exists, but, you know, so between the freshmen coming in and then, you know, Dante Manning is a, is a huge factor there. You know, if those guys kind of are what we hope they are, what we think they are, as, you know, as recruits, then that, yeah, that's, that, that's probably true. Talked about offense, talked about defense. I always love at least a little discussion on special teams, Rob. Um, 
I and think walk-ons. And well, you know, those are my two. My, those are my two favorite. Maybe we can. We can. I'll, we'll talk walk-ons in a second. I guess if we want, Rob. <laughs> your, your favorite walk-ons. We can You're a man after my own heart. There you go. Well, well, I just think with the special teams, I, I want to start with just Tom Snee because I felt like it was. I know it's a COVID year, and it, it was easy to focus on. Obviously, there are a little bit more pressing issues, but I thought it was really under. It went overlooked that like he averaged a very similar yard per punt to. Blake may moan. And I think entering the season, at least from my perspective, it felt kind of unlikely that they would get that kind of production. And Tom came over as somebody who'd never done this full time coming from Australia. He hadn't really played live games very much or much at all. Like, were you surprised with that? And then I guess what we can, I guess, just talk about the place kicker in a second after, because that one maybe has even a little bit more intrigue to it. Yeah. I, I think when you're talking about your punter, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world to say kind of he's overlooked and you don't, you don't, uh, you, you didn't think about him much, you know, he was just going out there doing his job and, um, and, and kind of staying under the radar. And, and so, and Snee Snee pulled that off and um, it was, it was cool to see because he's a great kid, you know, and being an international student and that all the travel restrictions last year, you know, you really felt for him um, and everything he went through. Um, and yeah, the place kicker situation was, was uh you know the, the emergence of the cattle monster was pretty fun you know i felt for cam lewis i felt you yeah. know i think he was in a pretty good headspace coming into the year uh and, and felt like um he had he put some of the inconsistencies of of the previous year behind him and then you know when when you have a couple early misses just you know i i think that doubt starts to creep back in a little bit and it, that's such a mental game um, and we, we, we see it for Cattleman too. You know, he's got a huge leg, but kickoffs are such a different skill than place kicks, you know? And I think people are like, oh, people are wondering, okay, he's got such a big leg way. Isn't he doing kickoffs? Well, I think that's kind of a mental thing for him. Like he's got to, he's got to wrap his head around, okay, that's a different skill and you can do that too. But that's something that you gotta, that you, that, that you gotta work on and get those techniques down. And, and, and Cam is still, was still, um, you know, a, a better option there, but, uh, but yeah, it was it was fun to watch Henry kind of uh, grab that job with with both hands and hold on to it and make some you know make some kicks late in the year um, with some pressure on him. Um, it's uh, that was a that was a fun deal. But I, I did feel for Cam. It, that's that's uh, you know I he's, you know you you want to see your kicker make kicks. So I'm you know I'm I'm rooting for him and it, you know so and and felt like he was in a good spot. And then you know just the way the season started, it just you know. It's, uh, a tough decision had to be made. You've covered a lot of the head coaches um, at Oregon over the years. You started in 2013 at Go Ducks, having a true sense of being in the program um, under Helfrich and then Taggart and now Cristobal. This goes into year four for Mario. Does this feel like this is going to be the year in 2021 where it's truly – for a majority, all his guys, his system's been in place for a while. Like just a big picture, like look at, at this program, this 2021, I look at it as this is going to be like year one of a true look at what Mario has been trying to build this program to, to become like his guys, his system, his coaches. And it's been there that way for a couple of years now. Well, I look at that in two ways. And in both of those ways, unfortunately, my answer to that is I'm not sure I agree. You know, I think on one hand, just in terms of culturally and putting his stamp on the program and grabbing it by the horns and kind of making it his, 
I think he did that almost right from the start. Um, you know, it's not like there was, you know, health guys or Tegger guys that, you know, kind of, you know, like there were different factions, you know, I think every, you know, pretty much almost to a man, everybody was a Mario guy when he took over. I mean, you, right. you saw the popularity, you saw how popular the choice was when he was promoted, how much the players, um, you know, wanted to, uh, you know, wanted him to be the guy uh, after Willie. So, you know, in that sense, you know, I think just culturally it's, it's been his program. If you're talking about realizing uh, the potential of this program, given the talent he's recruiting at. Yeah. yeah. I think history tells you that it's still one or two more recruiting classes before, you know, you're at that level where you feel like you, you know, this is now, now can this program go to a playoff and, and even win there? Um, you know, could it have done that last year? I think so. Yeah. If things had broken differently and maybe a bit of normal season. Um, you know, is the potential there in the next couple of years? Absolutely. But, yep. you know, you just, you just look at the talent pool that, you know, playoff contenders year over year are dealing with the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, and, you know, the way recruiting uh, success translates into success on the field, you know, it's probably another year or two, another recruiting class or two to feel like you have the depth of talent to, um, you know, to survive injuries, to, to, to have competition in practice every day at the level um, that, that kind of fosters that. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the ceiling for this program is at that level. But, you know, but there's this other side of it to where you feel like in order to, um, to almost feel like you can count on it. You know, it, you don't, it's not like you have to have some breaks go your way. You've accumulated so much talent that – um, you just kind of have to take care of business. Um, you know, history tells you that, you know, maybe another year, uh, maybe another recruiting class or two. Thanks uh, a lot, Rob, for coming on the show. We really appreciate your perspective and, and your time into Oregon football. And when spring football either starts or wraps up, we'd love to have you on again uh, to kind of just reset the bar again and see where Oregon football is at. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, good talking to you guys. Thanks, Thanks Rob. Rob. All right. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.